If you would, open your Bibles to Second Peter. It is our privilege to be, able, to be able to study the Word of God. It is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. In the book of Nehemiah, when Ezra opened the Word of God, the people stood out of respect and reverence to hear the Word of our Lord. Please stand as we read God's Word. First, Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's commit our time to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Dear Father, again, it is a privilege to be able to study your word. You have given this to us, Father, for our benefit. Cause our minds to focus on you this day as we seek to understand what you have here for us. And Father, we pray that in all that is done, that you would be glorified, you and you alone. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we look at this portion of Scripture, this is part of a five-lesson process that I'm putting together. The most important part of a building is what, brothers and sisters? The foundation. If the foundation is weak, the house is going to fall. If the foundation is strong... The house is strong. In the New Testament, as it refers to the cornerstone in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry, it's talking about the foundation of the church, which is based upon Jesus Christ being strong. In ancient Israel, their part of their architecture was when you put a foundation is in, there was one particular stone 
that even the foundation was based upon. That was the cornerstone, thus the reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The title was the foundation, the cornerstone. So, in these five lessons, I'm not going to give them all to you today, okay? So, don't get anxious. The cornerstone is the block upon which the other four stand. The cornerstone, brothers and sisters, and we're going to address that in just a minute, is the significance of Scripture. Sola Scriptura, the term from the Reformation. The other four blocks are built upon Scripture. Our definition of God, holiness. Our response to His holiness, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Picture of reverence, respect. Living that out under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Scripture says Christ is preeminent in all things. He is King. And what is the impact of our lives? Light and salt. Go back this afternoon and read the Sermon on the Mount. Just the first part, the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about characteristics that we're to see in the life of a believer. And the very next paragraph talks about being light in the midst of darkness, salt in the midst of perverse generation. So these are my building blocks. Today we're dealing with the cornerstone, the basis of all these other blocks as we seek to understand the significance. We just finished the General Assembly. Some positive things took place. That's exciting. At the same time, I was reading a book about J. Gresham Machen, one of the great heroes of the faith. Guys, if you haven't read anything by Machen, you've missed out. Godly man committed to the truth of the Scripture. So committed to the truth of the Scripture that he got kicked out of the Northern Presbyterian Church. He got kicked out of Princeton, where he was a teacher. And thus the starting of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. But I was at the General Assembly, and as I was reading this about Machen, I was reminded that, brothers and sisters, when you look at history, the history of denominations, the history of seminaries, it is covered with slides into liberalism, slides into accepting that which is not biblical, slides into preaching a gospel that is man-centered. I was touched personally by that. was visiting with my grandmother in South Florida years ago. She had just found out I was going to go to seminary, Reformed Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And she was so excited 
keep, keep in mind, guys, her life was empty. She was bitter. She was going to give me a book that meant a lot to her, helped her put the pieces together. She gave me a book by Harry Emerson Fosdick, who was the leader. In fact, he was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church, New York City. And he was the leader of the liberalism that was prominent in that day, which Machen was having to deal with. That helped me understand why my grandmother's life was empty. Liberalism offers no hope because it's man-centered. They deny every one of the miracles all the way from the virgin birth, which was there, as Fosdick would explain, because it signified somebody important was being born. You remove all the miracles of Scripture. You remove any hope of salvation. But again, when you look at history, we see that slide. Why did the PCA have to come into existence in the first place? And the slide is away from Sola Scriptura. If you have your Bibles with you, keep them in front of you because we're going to be flipping through these different portions of Scripture. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter is giving the account of what's got to be the most exciting personal experience you would ever have. When he, James and John, now when you read the Gospel accounts, Whenever Jesus was doing anything special, Peter, James, and John were always there. And so Peter gives this account of being on this mountain with James and John, and the Lord Jesus Christ is transfigured. The glory of God shines through him. And they're standing in amazement, and then they hear this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's got to be a life-changing experience. But look at the text. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. Notice that phrase. We have something even better, even more significant than this powerful experience. The prophetic word which you do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, 
In other words, John and Peter and James and Isaiah and Moses didn't just all of a sudden sit down and say, well, I think I'm going to write some scripture today that years from now people are going to read. No. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God entered into history and has given us a written word as the Holy Spirit guided these authors of Scripture to write exactly what God wanted written. Because it's God's word, brothers and sisters, it stands beyond time. God is not bound by time. God created time. His word is just as applicable today as it was however many years ago it was initially penned. As a result, it is our responsibility to invest in this word, seek to be faithful in terms of this word. And just a footnote, and why you need to why you need to listen all the more carefully, guys, liberalism. Progressivism, whatever you want to call it, denial of scriptural truth, doesn't enter the church through the pew. Where does it come from? It comes from the pulpit. And if the pew doesn't hold the pulpit accountable, you sit there and you listen to it. And you listen to it enough, what happens? Oh, we can blame it on the seminaries too. Yeah, well, that's where these guys got trained. But who holds the seminaries accountable? Who holds the preachers accountable? It is critical, critical that the person in the pew knows Scripture and can handle Scripture as well. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's writing to Timothy, faithful, faithful servant. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10 so we can get a little bit of the history about Timothy. Interesting young man. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, having been taught by Paul. But listen to this, guys. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We know from another place that Paul makes reference to the influence of Timothy's grandmother and mother. In other words, the importance of the family in terms of training generationally. But this is what I want you to hear. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Inspiration. Breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Scripture, profitable for every good work. There is not any area of life over which Scripture does not provide guidance, does not provide insight. God's Word has been given to us for our benefit. When you read Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul's talking about the Christian getting ready for for battle, the, the daily life. He's putting on all this armor. And remember, Paul is living in the midst of history. And the most effective soldier, in, in, historically in his day, was the Roman soldier. So you have the picture of the, uh, of the soldier putting on the shield and all this, or the, the breastplate, picking up shield, all that kind of stuff. And then he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Scripture is the weapon, if we follow through with Paul's line of thought here, because yeah, yeah, as the Roman army, in those days, the most effective weapon was a short two-edged sword. The Roman soldier was trained well in how to do that, how to use it. And so Paul's making reference to the effectiveness of this weapon in terms of addressing the issues of the day in which we live. We have to spend time in Scripture. You know, the Roman soldier didn't just pick up the two-edged sword on the first day. You know, most most people used a one-edged sword. I can imagine there were a lot of cuts and slices in the well. That's one reason why they used wooden swords in their training. But it was the most effective weapon of the day. And so Paul's making the connection here that we have the weapon that changes people's lives. We have the weapon that that, that gives guidance to, uh, to a culture in reference to marriage, in reference to family. In reference to work ethic, all of life is under the guidance of Scripture. Sola Scriptura. The sword. Sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. Our response, okay? Hebrews 5. Turn to Hebrews 5. 
Hebrews 5 is the first book in what we refer to as the general letters. There's some question about authorship because there's no name listed at the front. I personally believe it was Paul because of the structure of the letter. Uh, basically uh, uh, theological and impractical, which was how most of his letters are structured. You also had to have somebody who had a great knowledge of uh, uh, Judaism. He was well trained. But uh, hey, that's not an argument that anybody has to worry about because it's included in the Word of God, Scripture. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Now, it's addressed to us. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. He was talking about the question of Melchizedek. Now, that's a question that relates to the priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of questions about Melchizedek. Uh, Abraham had gone to save Lot, who had chosen to live in a, uh, in a questionable area. And as Abraham comes back from the battle, all of a sudden, Melchizedek shows up. King of Salem, priest of the Most High God. In the book of Psalms, it talks about Christ's priesthood being the priesthood of Melchizedek. Because he was a king and a priest. Book of Hebrews talks about that as well. But for us, verse 11, follow me as I read. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God's of, of the oracles of God you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The picture is the people sitting in the pew having, having the ability to discern good or evil in reference to the preaching of the Word of God. Because the knowledge of the Word of God is not reserved only for the ordained people. For the men who've studied in seminary, the Word of God is for every believer. Remember when Paul was talking about the believer getting ready for battle in Ephesians 6? He was talking not just about preachers. He was talking about every individual who's born again picks up that two-edged sword. Let's move back to the left a little bit. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, also a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. Chapter 3, verse 16. He's writing to every believer. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell. 
in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of Christ dwell. The picture of the word dwell is somebody coming in, moving in, and setting up home. The picture then is Scripture being so much a part of the life of a believer that not only does he know Scripture, but that he can articulate different principles that he can live out in application the significance of the Word of God. But it's the sense that all believers should have the Word of God dwelling, taking up residence, becoming a part of you. This is one of the ways that as believers, and please understand this, the study of reciprocal verbs, great study, those are the verbs that end with the phrase, one another. Please understand, one of the challenges of living as a believer in the world today is struggling. Therefore, you find verses that talk about how believers are to deal with each other, verses like, love one another, encourage one another, exhort one another. Even confront one another. Because guys, we're in this together. None of us have our act together. All of us are sinners. All of us stumble. All of us are broken in some sense. And we need each other. And the scriptural truth that is shared with one another. so that we can be strong together. 1 Peter chapter 1 real quick. I want to begin in verse 22 and read into the first part of chapter 2. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. See the reciprocal verbs, one another's. Since you have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. What instrument does God use to change people's lives? Scripture. As, as Peter says here, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower, fall, the flower fails but the word of the Lord remains forever. And Peter adds 
to this quote from the Old Testament. And this is the good and this word is the good news which was preached to you. Scripture. Scripture. One quick thing, go back to Acts verse 20. Paul had a profitable ministry in, in, in Ephesus. And he's coming through to encourage, to check on him. And he's about to leave. In Acts chapter 20. We read in verse 32. Paul's leaving. He's not going to be with them anymore. And now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace. Which is able to build you up. And to give you the inheritance. Among all those who are sanctified. Paul is saying, I'm heading back toward Jerusalem. I will most likely, I will most likely never see you again. Now remember, this was a church where he had a profitable ministry. It was close to many in the congregation. I'll never see you again, most likely, on this side of heaven. But I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The scripture. Knowing the scripture. Building our foundation upon the scripture. That which stands above time. Because it was written by the God who created time. So that it's just as real and just as applicable today. As it was when Paul tells these guys in Ephesus, probably not going to see you guys, but hey, you've got scripture. You've got scripture. When we look at the flow of denominations, it's away from scripture, part of the tragedy. Who's going to hold them accountable? With the knowledge of Scripture. Scripture alone. In the 1500s, it was a dark time. Dark time. You know, we have a tendency to think, man, this is really bad. Uh, 1500s was a dark time. And the church was part of that. Part of that darkness. The captivity of Roman Catholicism. Bible was written in Latin. Uneducated people couldn't, couldn't understand it. Martin Luther laboring in Germany right across the river. The Pope had sent one of his delegates, Tetzel, John Tetzel. They needed to raise money for the St. Peter's Basilica. And so Tetzel's over here selling indulgences. An indulgence, now if you remember Roman Catholicism... It's almost like you have a halfway house, you know. You go to purgatory and you finish paying for your sins. And so Tetzel's here and he's selling these indulgences, which means if you buy this piece of paper, 
you can get out of purgatory or you can buy a relative out of purgatory. In other words, the gospel was being purchased. And some of Luther's congregation had gone across to hear this orator. And they come back, one of them came back and showed Luther, oh Luther, look what I've got, look what I've got. the champion of justification by faith alone. Since Paul preached it in the Gospels, in, in, the, in the New Testament, was burned deeply in his heart because his congregation member had a false gospel. And that's when Luther wrote the 95 Theses and he pinned them up on the church door there. And that was the beginning of the Reformation. That person bought those indulgences because they didn't know any better because they couldn't read the Bible because the Bible was written in Latin. And that was the beginning of the Wycliffe's and the Luther's translating the Bible into the language of the people so that they could understand the Word. And they could apply that word. They were not dependent upon a religious organization to believe what was supposed to be true. And thus, the beauty of the phrase, sola scriptura. One of the five solas that come out of the Reformation. Scripture alone. Scripture alone. I encourage you to get into the Word. It's your responsibility to know it. And one of the reasons I say that is because what I shared earlier. Guys, liberalism never came into the church through the pew. Came in through what? The pulpit. And if you sit there and can't handle it or choose not to handle it, confront it, then it flows like a poison until you have churches that might, that might go by a biblical name. But the scripture is not taught. And the Harry Emerson Fosdicks influence the lives of people. In fact, if you've, if you've read much of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was in New York City working on his doctorates, and he'd been told, you've got to go hear Fosdick, you've got to go hear Fosdick. It was, he was a world-famous preacher, preaching garbage. Bonhoeffer went one time, and then went down the street to a black church, where he heard the gospel that encouraged his soul. We oftentimes want to point fingers when we think of churches and denominations that flow off into the liberalism. But brothers and sisters, if we don't know the Word, if we don't know Scripture, we've got to look right here. And that's every believer. 
every church member, every member of a family. And, oh, man, you parents in particular, remember Paul talking about Timothy. Oh, Timothy, you were blessed. You were taught by your grandmother and your mother. We must know the Word of God, brothers and sisters. We must. It's not reserved just for the seminary graduate. In fact, that's where the problem lies in many ways. We've got to know the Word because that's the strength of the body. Sola Scriptura. God's Word. God's Word. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we do thank you. Uh, You are gracious. You are good. We thank you for the salvation that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, we thank you that as we are now saved, we get to feast upon Scripture. Oh, upon Scripture. Not an existential experience. Not a motivational moment. But Scripture. Sola Scriptura. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.